all corners of the globe to your ears. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Sometimes informative, sometimes controversial, but always unpredictable. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast with your hosts, Hunter, John, and Stu. And now, on with the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Midnight Movie Cowboys for this week. You have got myself, Stuart, here, and um, joining me over in Denver, Colorado, is Mr. John Grace. Hello. Okay. So, a couple of things we've got to get out there into the uh, general public, and that is, for those of you listening to this episode going, uh, I think I'll go and watch them later on, on YouTube. Well, you cannot, because uh, we have made the decision that... Uh, YouTube and the MMC have parted ways. Why, you ask? I've had a few people asking me when I did put the uh, sort of post up. And it's because we always were trying it out to see how we went. We've been doing this for 12 years. It was just nearly 12 years when we started doing YouTube. 12 years of audio, nearly. And then we thought, well, we'll give YouTube a go and see how we go. And myself, personally, I found myself being very conscious of the video where it was distracting me too much i contacted john and hunter and hunter said yeah i he doesn't like it it is too distracting as well and john was like i don't really care um i don't think you're much on for it really in the first place john were you um i didn't think it would really grow our audience and i also felt like um audio wise it might make us kind of self-conscious of doing stuff like uh impersonations and Mm. and that sort of thing and telling certain jokes because for some reason, when you have the video camera on and everything, I don't know, you just you feel more inhibited. You do. And also, another problem that we had, which was a real problem, was the copyright issues with YouTube. Uh, for instance, you'll notice on every YouTube video we did, the end credits we always had on the audio were never there because we couldn't play the song that we've had for seven or eight years now, if not longer. That is our closing outro. Couldn't play music clips couldn't do particular things it's all music based primarily which we, we, we do incorporate into the show quite a bit um, from time to time and when I'm sitting there and editing and going oh I can't use this and I really want to play this and I can't use this or I can't use this sound drop and it's just it was just going to be too much of a headache in the end so we decided yeah back to audio and it may seem like going back to the well but it's just something we're more comfortable with also, I mean, personally, uh, I don't have to look at Hunter and John. It's much better. Yeah. Like, no, I'm just we're a, the- we're a theater of the mind show. We're <laughs> exactly. not, you know, yeah. we're not three George Clooney's looking for your views. No, 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 not at all. So we thought, well, now we're freed up a lot more creatively. So um, we'll just go back to audio. And it is a lot easier to edit audio. For those of you who have ever posted YouTube videos, they take a long, long time to upload to there. And you've got to get wait while they go through all the checks. So they're basically scanning your whole episode for something they don't like. And you've got to sit there and wait and wait. And then you've got to make, uh, you've got to make changes when they want changes. And it's just bullshit compared to the 13 years we've had with our current server. Well, the only server we've ever had. Where we've never had one problem. Not one. Not one in 13 years. So it was pretty much a no-brainer in the end. Just go back to audio. Um, we could just record back on Skype, which uh, I have a peek behind 
the Wizards could. We had a lot of problems, John and I, just now trying to get shit set up. But, you know, we've been off the system for a while. Zoom was costly as well, people. Man, that one thing was draining the crap out of me. The donations we're getting were not covering Zoom either. So um, that was, I mean, that was not the only factor. And I mean, I, I can really do that each month, but uh, just the whole video thing, it ain't me personally. And I know these two don't really care for much really either. So that is that answered. So um, having said that, now that we are back on audio, we can do other things. Um, I am going to be loading up the soundboard if I ever get the freaking thing working through Skype, which I will load it up with sound clips and stuff that will be relevant to the episode that we're going to be doing at the time of recordings. I uh, can't do it today because I just I couldn't get the sucker worked out. Uh, but I'll get there. And it just it means we can be a lot more audio heavy without the restrictions and of course i can feed it all through the soundboard and we don't have to put it in post later it's a lot easier so that is that now there are a couple of there's a concession with not being on video anymore is the whip out your chunk section is gone because that was strictly visual uh we can, of course we can talk about new releases that we bought or things that we bought we're not going to stop that but physically showing you on screen that's gone that's just one of the trade-offs unfortunately like i said but doesn't stop you know any of us you know mr arrow shelf of course we'll talk about oh i've got the new arrow of this and he's going to tell us about it i'll tell you all about it but we just can't show it anymore but uh if you are in the discord group which you should be joining there is a subsection in our discord group which is called whip out your junk where anybody in there can post the things they bought and it seems to be a pretty popular uh, part of the Discord group. So if you want to join in there and see what we've bought, or if you want to join up and post things that you bought and show them off, go ahead. Uh, everybody's welcome in there. So that's that. Um, Ethne's piece, Rue Britannia, stays, as that was always only ever uh, audio, you know, attached to a video, but it was only ever audio. So uh, that is that out the way. One thing I want to do this episode, John, and I'd like to see if we can sort of incorporate into each one before you know, before we do the uh, main section of each uh, recording or each okay. uh, episode, is just a mini rant. People like our rants. And, um, <laughs> you know, is uh, anything caught your eye lately? Anything film-related you thought catching caught any films? I know my sons went and saw Oppenheimer, two of them, the two older boys, yeah. did, and they loved it. I went to see... Uh Mission Impossible. Oh, I've been wanting to see that. How was it? It's really good. I highly recommend it. That's all I can really say in case we ever do a Mission Impossible show. But uh, hmm. I was uh, I was kind of blown away. Uh, they basically made a live action loop in the third movie, and I think it was intentional. And anybody who's seen a, a loop in the third cartoons, you could probably say, yeah, yeah, it was definitely an inspiration. And there's also stuff taken from video games, which Garrow and Hunter confirmed. Right and. Uh, it's very enjoyable. See it on the big screen. I don't think it's going to come off well on home video. I think it's a it's a big screen film. See it on the biggest theater screen you can, and uh, it's a good time. I had a real good time with it. What's the runtime of that one? A couple of hours, two uh, and a half it hours. It is two and a half hours or mm. something, but you don't feel it. It was weird. I was really expecting to feel it. Boy, they paced this thing perfectly. Sort of fast, like John Wick was. John Wick Four, I should say. Yeah, yeah. They just it just keeps keeps it going it just it just keeps going it never really lets up it never slows down um but doesn't you don't feel like you're being beat over the head like you might with a 
like uh, some people might have felt with John Wick or or some other film that's just you know just giving you one thing after another. They did a, a mm. amazing uh, balance job here. Mm. The thing I saw, I did see a trailer for that Mission Impossible, but it wasn't a trailer. It was actually just uh, the director and Tom Cruise setting up that stunt where he jumps out of the cliff with a motorbike or whatever he's on. Right. Which I thought, well, it's interesting. That's you know they're giving away one of the really big uh, sort of set piece moments of the film, but they're showing you a behind the scenes, and that's the trailer. I thought that was really interesting. They did that. Yeah. And so they're giving us a two and a half minute collage of everything, you know, being forced or thrown at you at, at a lightning speed. Which uh, right. yeah, I don't like those trailers much. And speaking of trailers, <laughs> I did watch the trailer for the film we'll be discussing today later which i thought was interesting as well but we'll get to that one thing i do want to pick your brains about and it would be good if we had hunter here for this and he will chime in for this when he does this um just for the record john and i obviously putting out this episode we are also just the two of us doing the next one because hunter is away uh, on vacation with the fam overseas so he'll be back uh i do want to say not this one obviously not the next one hopefully one after that but uh, we'll see how we go. John, I want to pick your brains about the releases of the Bruce Lee films in 4K that are coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. How many freaking times are they going to release these movies? As many times as they think people will buy them. Uh, 4K, this should be the last one for a while. Uh, I can't imagine, unless there's a new home video format, on the on the horizon that I'm not aware of, I can't see them releasing another 8K. one. 8K, 8K is coming. Yeah, 8K or something. Mm. You know, you could see a, the trace of uh, the gram of cocaine on Bruce Lee's nostril. <laughs> or something. Although my, one of my sons did tell me that apparently the Big Boss is a longer cut. Okay, they offer the Mandarin cut, but right. I've talked to people who saw longer cuts, including our friend Butch. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they saw it years ago, like uh, like Butch saw it when he was in West Germany. He was stationed there in the military, I think. And he saw he claims he saw a print of the big boss. I believe it was 16 millimeter. He said it had the scenes of them slicing up the villain, slicing up the cousins in the mm. uh, ice house. And it was really gory and detailed. It also had the saw in the the saw in the head scene, the legendary sequence that only exists today. And uh, one still you know pr photo or lobby card i'm not sure what it is yeah uh but it's been removed from almost every version and uh one uh friend of mine also a listener of the show he says when he was a kid he rented a videotape of the big boss it was longer and gorier had the scene of the cousins getting sliced and diced in the ice house and it made him physically ill that's why he remembered it so well and then when he uh, purchased or rented the CBS Fox video years later, he was mm. like, where's those scenes? Where's those scenes that made me sick when I was a kid? And um, apparently this Mandarin cut, here's here's the extra scenes. It doesn't restore the gore. It just restores some dialogue scenes. Okay. Well, so yeah. it's the type of stuff we would fast forward over when we were kids oh, renting boy. a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> I tell you what, they get another few seconds of footage and it's time to put in another version of that film out. It's just, you know, it's become it, the Bruce Lee films have become the Halloweens 
of the home video market. Yeah. The evil, the um, Army of Darkness or Evil Dead films of the home video market. Just they become a Reanimator. Joke. All these films they reissue again and again. Highlander. I mean, I bought, <laughs> I bought Highlander, <laughs> Highlander in 4K. Bad. I said <laughs> that is it. Bugger off. I'm dumb. It's that. It looks fantastic. That'll do me. There's nothing more I could ask yeah. for for that film. But uh, you know, not to be outdone. We are getting also. We got the four film from four films from Arrow. The uh, four films from Arrow. I keep losing track of the Golden Harvest years in 4K. But of course, Warner Brothers cannot be outdone, and they're putting out Enter the Dragon in 4K. So uh, yeah, going to ring that Bruce Lee tit, that 50 year old dead tit, a bit more. <laughs> it's just incredible. Frankly, the Criterion set is fine. I think I'm stopping there unless. Unless they find the um, the Blondie episode, or they're allowed to put that on home video, and his Hong Kong TV appearances, because he, he made a lot of TV appearances on talk shows, and if they find all those videos and are allowed to put those on disc, I would probably splurge for those because those are little pieces of history. But uh, you know, just because you found the log scene from Game of Death, which I've heard about for years, and I thought this meant. Oh, Bruce must be fighting henchmen on like a big log, like uh, that scene in King Kong where they're climbing across the the log and Kong is twisting it. I didn't know it meant that one of the uh, the one of Bruce's cohorts attacks Dan and Asanto with a big uh, foamy prop that's supposed to look like a log, mm. and Dan Danny does a couple of moves on him that you can see Danny still do if you go to a Dan and Asanto seminar. And uh, he can still do those at 80 years old or however old he is these days. Uh, it's no big deal, but, you know, people, um, the, the Bruce fans will go for anything. You can just offer a few little seconds of something and they're going to go crazy. Because it's, uh, uh, it's practically at this point, it's a mental illness. You know, there's one thing that Dan in the sound I cannot do. What's that? Can't say you can do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not allowed to. Can, cannot. Nope. All right. So, yeah. Enter the Dragon would most likely be a purchase for me because I do have the oh god how many I got the 40th anniversary Blu-ray which I thought looked good I got the old HD DVD still of it um, on my shelf I've got the other Golden Harvest films a couple of times over I've got the DVD box set of the Golden Harvest films Um, so I'm starting to get into the territory becoming a complete joke with the amount of times I bought the Bruce Lee films Enter the Dragon in 4K I will watch for reviews, and if it's got both cuts, then yes, I will pick it up. If it only has still the, the uh, was it the non-theatrical one? Is that the one that was been around for forever? Well, well, they offer the theatrical version on Criterion as an alternate cut, and that's the version I prefer to watch. I don't like the re-release version they did in 96 with the voiceovers, with John Little dubbing Bruce. I think those are terrible. Also, the Criterion set, I believe, also offered you the audio option of Bruce's actual voice in those scenes. I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to just listen to that. They're hmm. going to watch that version anyway. But I, I like the theatrical cut. I think it moves better than, you know, I don't need some extra scene explaining some hokey fortune cookie philosophy about image and all that. Right. And what's the one that has the the uh, woman who stabs herself at the start? Is that the theatrical? That's Enter the Dragon. Angela Mao Ying, who... Uh, Currently runs a restaurant in New York. But what cuts that? Is that on the um, the uh, re-release or the theatrical? Oh, that's that's on every version. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's always been part of it. That's uh, the the death of his sister. She commits suicide. That's right. Yeah. 
See, there's a word we couldn't say on YouTube without getting uh, shadow banned. You're suicide. Really? I did not know that. That was killing us. There were, there were words we were saying, suicide, murder. And not, not, not that we were sort of advocating these things, but they just, you know, in general context of the conversation that we were having, that um, right. they would scan the scan the files. They look, they look for the algorithms, which Hunter was always saying, the algorithm. What, and I was saying, ah, oh, fuck the algorithm. But he was right. <laughs> um, yeah. Our show was getting buried as fuck throughout um, for that miserable period. Well, that had to be a problem when we um, our highest rated episodes were the Kung Fu movie episodes, and <laughs> how many times were we saying murder in those? Well, yeah, I think that I don't know how that one escaped the uh, algorithm clutches of uh, YouTube, but you know, I tell you what, going back to and going back to YouTube, and it's gonna make me sound bitter, like some sort of bitter old man. I don't care. The one that pissed me right off, I thought, what the fuck are we doing this crap for? Is the Great Rock and Roll Swindle one. When we were just getting oh, bombarded. Yeah. That was the only episode I actually physically turned off comments for. I thought, fuck this. This is ridiculous. And people going, oh, you clickbait, you bunch of, you sad bastards. All you do is, I said, but the things in review, if you look at, I thought, you know what, Stuart, do not get, in, do not engage. These people, it's the YouTube jerks who are probably sitting in their dressing gowns <laughs> with nothing else on and watching, you know, uh, hentai. And they just like, ah, oh, fuck off, you idiots. I'm not interested. <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's annoying. And that was one of the first ones we put up, I think, if not the first one. Yeah, it was around about sort of the, the 12th, 12th to 15th okay. one. Where you, you know, yeah, we'll get nice comments. And you're not always going to get nice comments. I get it. But the ones on there for the Great Rock and Roll Swindon, they were just people wanting the film for free. And because just by sheer luck, not by design, but by luck, the running time of the episode ran basically the same as what the film does. And I put the artwork of the film... Uh, the poster, but with our name on it, so you couldn't miss it. People going, oh, here's right. a great rock and roll swindle. I can watch it for free until they saw us. And they go, this is what I was after, man. This is bullshit. And they let us know about And I thought, eh. Yeah, but anyway, YouTube rant over. Um, that's all done with it in the past. But yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion on the uh, these 4Ks or the Bruce Lee's coming out, which we knew they were coming. Yeah. <laughs> we knew they were coming. I'm not, I'm not buying them. I'll put it that way. I can't justify the arrow set at 100 and 20 quid that's just insane that is a lot of money i paid like 50 bucks or 40 bucks for the criterion set at the barnes and noble sale that's That's all i need i'm good do they look any different to the shout releases you know i've never done a comparison uh they may look i mean you're at least getting enter the dragon the theatrical cut with that so that helps they look probably the same i i honestly think it's probably the same transfers no okay i'm good then i won't bother about those and I can't, I cannot see these 4Ks looking much better. I really can't. With old films, I just don't think it matters, really. Yeah, I kind of agree. The ones I've seen, for instance, I picked up National Lampoon's Animal House. I already had the Blu-ray, right. but I thought, well, it's it was it was under what was it, seventeen dollars, seventeen Australian bucks with free shipping from the US. I thought that's nothing. I'll um mm-hmm. picked it up, and I was watching. I go, wow, it's kind of dark. It's it's okay. But it's really yeah. not much of an improvement over the Blu-ray, which the Blu-ray comes in the disc anyway. So if I want to, I can always switch to that. But it's not a market improvement. Now, that's a rant for another time. 4Ks, are they really worth it? I mean, I guess you can probably say new films would benefit from it because they're pretty much filmed in that. So they are going yeah. to look as good as, or look really, really clear as in that format. But, you know, for older films, um, for instance, The Exorcist is coming out in 4K. 
I don't need it in that format. I really don't. How right. good is it going to look? Yeah, last house on the left in 4K. How good is it going to look? It's not. It was only ever shot on 16mm. I mean, how, how clear is it going to be? And those are those are movies that I think ideally should look like 1972 films, you know? Exactly. Yeah. They should have that grainy kind of slightly washed look or whatever. They're, they're supposed to look like that. They're not supposed to look like, um, you know, a colorful Fred Astaire musical or something. No. No, they're meant to... Um, I mean, if something has had a bad release in the past in high definition... And then they bring out a 4K yeah. and scrub up and clean up. Then yes, I'm I'm with it, um, right? Because they're fixing up what the mistakes were made in the past. But there's very few Blu-rays I've seen who have been that has been that bad. Where you think, well, this is subpar quality. There's a couple where you think, ah, they could have done better. But yeah, anyway, Bruce Lee over. That's our Bruce rant out yeah. the way. Nothing else I want to raise except for the fact that we are finally doing a film that I thought we would have done <laughs> in the last near on 13 years, but never have. And when I got to thinking about it, we've done barely any films of this guy. We're talking about Vincent Price and we're talking The Abominable Dr. Fibes. Have we covered many Vincent Price films? I can't recall ever reviewing one. We haven't done House of Wax. No. We haven't, haven't done the Dr. Fibes films, obviously, until... Um, today oh and um just a heads up people next episode john and i are doing will be dr fibes rises again we were going to do the two in one but we thought nah we'll um split them up one episode per film just a lot more easier for that but no have we ever done the fall of house of Asher or mask of the red death we haven't done none of them have we no i've never never covered a vincent price shocking uh movie on here I mean, probably we may have done, we've done so many in the past. People will go, but you did this. Um, we forgot all about it. Didn't we do... We probably talked about Vincent Price. We may have made jokes about Vincent Price, but I don't think we've ever covered a movie. Hang on. Did you and Hannah do Matthew Hopkins? Which fighter general? Did you ever do that? Uh, I don't think we ever covered it. No, no, oh, okay. So we've never done a Vincent Price one. That's insane. Yeah, okay, no, well, it's it's funny because we all I think all three of us buy a lot of Vincent Price movies oh, yeah. or or at least like a few and we've never covered a Vincent Price film on this show. That's insane. We've never done House of Wax. We've never done until today, Doctor Fibes. Never done Doctor yeah. of Goldfoot in the Bikini Machine, one of my other favourite Vincent Price films of all time. <laughs> um I think we we'll talked have to fix about that. Them. We talked about buying them on disc and stuff, but we've never actually reviewed one. Hmm, crazy. Anyway, we'll have that fixed as of right now. Um, the Abominable Dr. Fibes from 1971. Um, tell me when you first saw this, if you can recall. Uh, believe it or not, three years ago. Is that all? Wow. This is, I bought the Arrow Blu-ray off of eBay for a decent price and yeah. realized I had never seen it. It's one of those films that growing up as kind of a monster kid when I was very young, buying monster magazines and uh, books about horror films and stuff. I always kind of thought maybe I had seen it because it's covered a lot in monster mags and in those books. But and I've seen the, you know, the uh, the lobby cards and the posters and the advertising material and still photos and everything and read about it. But I realized a few years ago I'd never seen it. And I was deep into watching uh, Avengers episodes at the time and uh, researching the career of Brian Clemens because I was also watching uh, The Professionals and Thriller and some of the other yeah. shows he's responsible for. 
And I found out he had done a um, an uncredited rewrite of the ending of Dr. Fibes. Oh, I and didn't know that. Because, because the director, Robert Fiest, had um, directed some Avengers episodes, so he was good friends with Clemens. Right. And um, the uh, so so he did that, that rewrite, and I realized, I've never seen this film. And so I bought that Arrow Blu-ray and watched it, and I was wondering what the hell took me so long. But maybe had I seen it years ago when I was younger, I might not have been able to appreciate it as oh, much as I do now. I, I saw it in about 19... 19- 87, I want to say, on television. I loved it straight away. But I've always been a massive Vincent Price fan. And um, right. when I saw it, I thought, this, is, this film is twisted as hell. <laughs> it's, it's it's so good. It's in the top three of my Vincent Price, which we'll get to well, later I, on. I had seen probably every Vincent Price movie except this. Like, I'd seen Theater of Blood. I'd seen the Roger Corman Poe films. Like, all that stuff from the 60s. Because those were regular staples of uh, local television for Saturday night Creature feature slots. Did you ever see Vincent Price? Okay. In the mid-90s, I was uh, watching TV on a Saturday night, late night, and something Mm -hmm. came on TV called... um, It only runs about an hour. Vincent Price something, but he he just reads the telltale heart. Uh, An evening with Edgar Allan Poe is what it's called. Okay, I haven't seen it, but I think I've heard about it. Anyway, I remember seeing it on TV, and it was crystal clear. And then they brought out the uh-huh. uh, MGM released the DVD of it as uh, all those double features of Vincent Price that came out in the early 2000s. I thought, oh, wow, finally an evening of Edgar Allan Poe. I go, wow, the quality on this is crap. It's oh, just, wow. Yeah, and yet the, te- the television station here played it, and it was crystal clear. So I'm wondering what the hell they were running in what the hell MGM were using but maybe it was shot on pal video or something it's definitely a video shoot it is not it is not um film because it's only about like, 52 yeah. minutes or something because i know there's a problem when sometimes if something's shot on pal video and then you transfer it to ntsc especially back in the dvd days it was it could look it could look fairly bad yeah that would explain it but um yeah, I watched the uh, first Doctor Vibes and I thought it was fantastic. Hunted down the sequel on uh, VHS back in the day and uh, haven't seen that for a number of years, but remember enjoying it nearly as much as this one. But, mm-hmm. uh, of course, we'll be covering that for the next episode, so I'll soon find out whether my memory is as good as it was. Now, you've got the Arrow Blu-ray from the UK or the US release? I got the Arrow Blue from the UK, and then I ended up buying, because I wanted the sequel, and it was on sale at the Kino Lorber website, I got their double feature of both films. Oh, okay, because I picked up uh, the limited edition Arrow release from the UK, which is called uh, The Complete Doctor Fibes, which has got the two films on two discs, but it's also right. got a 100-page book in there about everything you want to know about Doctor Fibes. So, um... Yeah, that wasn't attainable when I, <laughs> when I bought the... The uh, the Arrow Blu-ray uh, yeah, that one I think was going for a, a nice uh, a nice cost. Yeah, I picked it up for I think it was twenty five quid. Now it's up near two hundred quid. It goes for a stupid amounts of money. So yeah, but not that my version or my uh, copy will be being parted with me any time in this lifetime. It's uh it's staying right here for the kids to inherit. Mm-hmm. But uh, Abominable Doctor Vibes. What did you think of it when you finally got around to seeing it? And again catching it this time for this uh recording 
I thought it was uh, really brilliant. I wondered why it took me so long to catch up with it. It's definitely got a surrealistic uh, kind of art art film quality that's not really true of, of a lot of prices like other AIP productions. Mm. And um, it, it has a British sense of humor, though funny enough, the script was not originally written uh, by Brits. It was written by two New Yorkers. And uh, I guess Robert Fiest did really overhauled the script quite a bit to make it more of a British, you know, dark comedy. And um, some of the stuff in it was very disturbing. And it's tough. I often say it's tough for me to be disturbed by horror films or anything. But it's funny watching this this film that I think was released with a PG rating and marketed to kids. That's crazy. It's far more disturbing than any uh, new horror films I'd seen in the last 10 or 15 years. Like there's some really creepy stuff in here. And um, the whole, um, you know, it's a type of horror film they don't make anymore. Uh, that's kind of, you know, not only is it artsy, but it's more suspense based and mm. atmospheric. And you don't really get that these days. You kind of just get these shades of Wes Craven uh, in movies today where uh, there's back then it was horror was more of a um, it was a more interesting and imaginative genre. Yeah, I was watching this again this morning and was trying to work out the timeline because there is no uh, no year stated on the actual film. It doesn't say 1945 <laughs> or 1965, whatever. It doesn't tell you. You have to work out the pieces yourself because we know that there was a car, uh, there was the death of Fibes' wife, uh, Victoria Fibes, in 1921. Because it says right. uh, she was. Uh, Born 1893, and I looked at the photo of her, which would have been taken... And, oh, by the way, the woman who plays Dr. Fibes' wife in this is Caroline Munro. Because I go, where the hell do I know that face? I mean, she's a good-looking girl, but woman, but who is it? I looked up and go, oh, my God, that is Caroline Munro. Yeah, she's she's uncredited because she was under... Supposedly, she was under contract with Hammer Films, but mm. she could appear in this film, but she couldn't speak. Couldn't speak or be credited, so, yeah. Right. And so they were able to get around that. And um, so I, I think a lot of people misremember this as a Hammer movie, which it's not. No, no, it's not. Because look at the photo that Fibes has of her in his um, his lair, if you will. And that's not a photo taken of a woman in the late 19-teens or the 1920 or 1921. That looks like a woman from the swing in the 60s. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was about to say, women didn't really look like that in the 1910s. No, they did not. Not at all. Um, We'd have a much bigger population on Earth if they did. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Not like the uh, toothless hags that were going around East London at the time, you know, the Jack the Ripper murders. But, <laughs> um, so I was trying to work out the timeline, okay? So she died 1921. So did So she w- worked out that she was 28. Yet I'm looking at the scenery of this film. I'm going, yeah, they're dressed like it's a 19... Well, supposedly the 1920s, but man, it looks like 1966 London, even though this film's from 71. So where the hell are we? Okay, is Vibes been dormant for 40 years? I, I couldn't work nothing out. But we, anyway, it is 1925, the setting. The wife has died in 1921 um, through a surgical error, believed by Dr. Fibes to be uh, committed by the surgeons on purpose or something, or they didn't do enough to save her. And uh, Vibes set out to kill the nine surgeons and the nurse associated with his wife's death. 
Uh, he resurfaces in 1925, which is where the film is set, four years after the fact. Um, Fibes supposedly died in a car crash in Switzerland the day after his wife's death. Uh, did he? <laughs> now, i got to say, the use of the ten plagues of uh, the, the, the pace of the curse of the pharaohs of Egypt, the ten plagues of Egypt, is very, very inventive. And the one I had to fast forward through, I could not watch it because I knew it was coming was the one with the rats. I have an insane... <laughs> and people who know me... No, I have an insane fear of mice and rats. Just spiders, I don't care. I <laughs> mean, they don't kill. They don't bother me at all. You can get a, you know, a huntsman or something that's the size of a friggin' basketball. I don't care. I'll be, it doesn't bother me. Get a tiny ass little mouse. I'm, I'm fucking frozen solid. I can't stand them. So I had to fast forward that thing. Food of the gods. The yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did with Marjo. Yeah, and I'll <laughs> never watch it again. <laughs> I just watched a little of it for the first time yesterday morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I actually was intrigued because it's not as bad as I had heard, you know, and it's like the, the rat heads that they use in the film actually look pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. (laughs) You can go ahead and knock yourself out, John. You can watch it. I don't care. There was another film as well. that was on VHS called rats. Uh Don't know what year it was made. I'll have to look it up, but it was just one of those video covers. I would just, flash by really fast when I was in the video store back in the day because I just could not look at it. And Fruit of the Gods, yeah, I have seen um, on television. I thought, no. <laughs> no, thank you. It's Marjo Gortner, though, still. Uh, look, Marjo's fine. You know, I'm not uh, that enamored with him where I've got to watch that film. Uh, when you come back, Red Rider, yes. The Marjo documentary, yes. Other ones, eh, you know. You know, so was Rats the um, that movie Rats was that probably Deadly Eyes, the Robert Klaus film that Golden Harvest produced in Canada? Uh, I will quickly search it out, but I dare say it's probably got its um, it's probably got a different title here because that was so friggin' um, so commonplace. Yeah, it's based on a James Herbert novel called The Rats, and I think they they probably called it that in markets where James Herbert was better known. Okay, yeah. That must be it. But, uh, you know, much like I've said before, Truck Turner was here known as uh, Black Bullet. Um, Thief was known as um, uh, Violent Streets. So the name changes over the years here. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So Fives is out to avenge his wife's death by killing the nine surgeons and the nurse associated with his wife's death via the uh, Ten Plagues of Egypt and the Tenth one being eternal darkness uh so the nine who killed her and the tenth one he uh he is saved for something else and the uh, deaths are very very inventive um you have to suspend disbelief especially with the uh unicorn brass head death where you think really he managed to have that catapult set up exactly at that time when that surgeon's going to be in that spot at that time you know um the rats in the back of that tiny little plane are just all quiet, not running around when that doctor, when that surgeon gets in there. And all of a sudden, when he's up in the air, they start roaming around on his face. Um, oh, what's, the, what's the other death that really... Originally in the script, it was written to be a boat. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but I guess he could jump ship or jump off the boat and land into the water. Well, yeah, because so. Fiesta, uh, Fiesta said, he goes, well, why doesn't he just jump in the water? Then he'd be fine. Exactly. So he rewrote it to be a play. Well, you, you cannot get out, yeah. Oh, and um, must say that I have not heard them yet, but the Arrow Blu-rays do come with the commentary on this one by Robert Fust, Faust, whatever his name is. 
um, and somebody else. And I do want to hear them because there's uh, a lot of information there that I was questioning, but I go, I'll get to the audio commentary and that some other time I can actually sit back and listen to it and uh, take in his knowledge. Well, uh, William William Goldstein does the commentary, the, the original writer. Uh, I tried listening to it, and I don't know if he was just too old at the time or I just haven't gotten to a good a good groove of the commentary, but he didn't didn't seem to be saying anything really observant. And um, the, uh, the the one with the director is with Robert Fiesta is, is pretty good. Right. Um, it's decent. Um, the uh, the American Blu-rays come with uh, a commentary by the guy who I think wrote that booklet um, for Arrow, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, or he wrote a book about the the companion to Doctor Fibes and the guide to Doctor Fibes, and then um, also I think it carries over the Robert Fiest commentary from the Arrow. Okay, but I haven't listened to it to confirm if it's the same one. Well, it can't be as bad as the commentary for the Amadou Horror by uh, <laughs> Doctor Hans Holzer. One of the worst I've ever heard. Where oh, really? Is that, is that severely awful? It's it's basically this. And you see, this all happened here to the Lutzes because they upset the Indian. Everything's about the limping <laughs> on the Indian land. And George Lutzes, uh, uh, he lost at the races because he upset the Indian. Everything's about upset the Indian. I thought, shut the fuck up, man. This is ridiculous. <laughs> that sounds as bad as the one uh, Paul Heller and Michael Allen did for Enter the Dragon for the first DVD release. That's oh, really? just horrendous. Mm. Like uh, oh, they don't—they don't know anything about the movie, even though they, you know, one wrote it and the other produced it. They just—they don't have anything to say, and yeah. they can't even identify Sammo Hung when he's grappling with Bruce and everything. And they just—they don't know anything. It's just—they they don't tell any real stories, or it's just awful. It's unlistable. And mm-hmm. Michael Allen phoned his in literally. He's on the—he's on a speakerphone talking to Paul Heller. That's—that's lazy. That is very lazy. Yeah. Much like um, Guy Ritchie and his producers, one Vaughn, Michael Vaughn, is it? Matthew, I don't know, one of those. Mm-hmm. Matthew Vaughn. Oh yeah, Matthew Vaughn. Yeah. Matthew Vaughn. Michael Vaughn's a cricketer. Oh, speaking of that, Australia kept the Ashes. Ha ha. Take that, England. Um, but yeah, that near one for Snatch was just atrocious. Oh, hey, look, here's Brad Pitt. Yeah. Oh, how much longer till we finish? We got to get out of here. So I thought, mate, this is a fucking waste of time. Absolutely. I I, I switched. Yeah, it off. the only good ones. The only good ones that are bad like that is like the ones with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he's just explaining what's going on on the. Did screen. I punch the horse here? I punched the camel right here. Yes. Did, yeah. uh, did I put the towel on my head so they could not find me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I do want to hear those commentaries, but um, these these <laughs> these murders, as inventive as they were, the one that got me the most, where I thought this is some bullshit was the one with the locust where they kill the nurse. I'm sorry. Yeah. You cannot be lying asleep in bed and have all that green liquid, whatever the hell that liquid was. I couldn't work out. Something would attract the locust. You cannot have right. that poured over your body and then all over your face and head and not wake up. Exactly. Unless Fibes, did Fibes drug her beforehand? I don't know. He would have to have. Yeah, they didn't film that scene if, uh, if that was written in there. Because I couldn't see her take a sip of any drink that Fibes may have spiked, but yeah, I was sitting there going, mm, no, I'm not buying this for a second. Yeah, but yeah that was the, the one I was kind of like, eh, this is more like an Avengers episode than anything believable. Yeah, yeah. But um, one thing I was thinking about 
when I was watching this was when Fibes kills a surgeon, he has a wax dummy of him and he places a necklace, which on the necklace is the emblem of their how they died. So the um, uh, the symbol of how they died, like there's the symbol of blood, symbol of frogs, the symbol of um, locusts, rats, hail, etc. Oh, the one, John, don't get me started about the, the one with the hail. Bullshit. How do you get all the hail into that car? It does, a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Like no. the, the murders are very. It's kind of like, wait a minute, how did this happen? How did he? How did he arrange this to happen? You know, it's just. It's. Um. I think that's part of the movie's kind of fairy tale quality in a way, like very dark Grimm's fairy tale style. Mm. Um. You can't really question the logic too much, I guess. Yeah, but when I was watching it, and he would, Fives would burn the the face of the wax the wax uh, dummy. I thought, wow. I wonder if 1974, 1973, whenever it was, I wonder if Deep Purple saw and thought, man, that'd make a good back cover for the Burn album because it looks very <laughs> similar to the face of Blackmore and Coverdale and Glenn Hughes all burnt off. <laughs> I'm probably reaching with a long, 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 long bow with that one, but yeah, yeah it's good. Uh, something to well, put this up was here. the last movie Keith Moon supposedly watched. Dr. Fibes? Yes. I guess he, I guess he Jeez. watched it on TV or something, and um, before he passed away. Oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So we've got these really inventive deaths. We've got um, oh, Virginia Norther's Volnavia, yeah, Volnavia, who is yeah. Volnavia, who only made five films and one TV episode, which is crazy. So um, and one of these films was this one. She plays the. Silence, accomplice to Fibes. You got to think, why is she hanging out with Doctor Fibes? Clearly getting paid for it. He's clearly dishing out some money. Um, well, she was originally written to be an automaton in the script. Okay. She was like his most advanced. That's why she doesn't speak, and there's no dialogue because she was written to be one of his robots. And um, you know, and she's revealed to be human, but um, sort of. And then, um, but no explanation for why she is. And I guess Fies didn't really, the director didn't really care, you know? So he just stuck with, with making her a real person or whatever. But I think it would have been cool if they revealed her to be a automaton or her face fell off. Like, and you know, saw all this clockwork stuff working behind her head or something. That would have been really cool. Yeah. Like the, uh, clockwork, Dr. Five's clockwork band or whatever he's got there. Um, did you like yeah. the clockwork band, which again, I believe was, inspired for the godly and cream video for an englishman in new york if you've seen very that likely one. was I oh yeah seen that video i wouldn't doubt it yeah yeah i i truly believe it was and also if i'm not mistaken i think dr fives rise again he has that same band but we'll know about that next episode when we watch it or when we speak about it right say, or when i watch it well the interesting thing was a lot of that was inspired by um apparently robert fiest was friends with anton lavey Oh and really? Anton LaVey had like automatons kind of like that in his satanic house or whatever it was called, Satanic yeah. Temple, I have no idea. So some of the stuff in that in the film was inspired by LaVey. In turn, uh Dr. Fives is one of LaVey's favorite movies. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no so shit. A lot of there's a lot of satanic church influence on the film. That may not be obvious to the naked eye if you're, you know, not informed about that stuff, but apparently Fiesta was was pals with uh, with Anton LaVey. And the playing of the mm. organ and all that, that's very LaVey-esque. 
Oh, the uh, War March of the Priest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a good score in this film, by the way. I must say that. Yeah, it's it's terrific. And um, I found out they only recently, or in recent years, like this century, do they actually release the true soundtrack. Apparently, what was marketed as the soundtrack in the 70s was Paul Freese uh, saying a lot of Fives' dialogue. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, which I maybe there's a YouTube upload. I'd like to hear that myself. That's an odd thing. But I know that they used to advertise the soundtracks in the back of uh, genre magazines like Famous Monsters and Starlog. And I always wondered, like, I had no idea they weren't the actual soundtracks. They were like these kind of gimmicky tie-in records. Well, there is a soundtrack on Spotify, so it's got to exist. Oh, okay, here we go. Yeah, yeah, it does. They did put it out. They finally put the real soundtrack out, apparently, like 10 years ago. Yeah, okay. So I'm just looking now. The uh, Dr. Fibes Rise Again soundtrack is available on CD. Mm-hmm. And it's um very nice price of $202. <laughs> Soundtracks are the most valuable CDs uh, of genre markets. Yeah, I know. That's why you need to hang on to those things, people, because they are worth an absolute... Oh, shit. They can be worth an absolute fortune. But um, never mind. Um, anything else you took away from this film? I think... Um I, it's funny when I first saw it, I uh, I kind of joked that it was basically it was like an Avengers episode with no John Steed and Emma Peel to stop the bad guy. Like they're not they're they're not in it, and it's just an Avengers villain gone crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, that wasn't my impression the second time I watched it for the show. But um, I was just like, wow, this is it. Really has that style in films that I miss of uh, that kind of sixties. It's it does have that sixty spy movie feel like some from something out of England or Europe. Oh, doc, that's that, Doctor uh, Goldfoot. I, I just find that makes it endlessly rewatchable in a way. I think. Yeah, that's why I love Doctor Goldfoot. It's just it is it is basically a James Bond sort of spy film, but uh, yeah, a comedy one with. Uh, and you can tell in that film, Vincent Price is having a, the time of his life. And you can tell as well in this one, he's actually really enjoying himself because um, he's uh, first of all, we must say that. You do see Vincent Price, but you see a very ashen-looking Vincent Price, as if we won't give away the ending, but it's as if it's a mask of Vincent Price, and you never see his mouth move, but you do hear him through a uh, an old gramophone speaker, which he uses to project his voice as a sort of a, a vocal. It's instrument. unique because it's this is probably his most best-known film, and he doesn't. He you never see him speak, and so he doesn't get to do the the kind of fun hammy. Vincent Price performance in this one, yet it's probably his most well-known film. But we also must say that the ending of this film is a nod to the ending of House of Wax, when we finally see the real reveal of uh, Vincent Price in that. So, I mean, I don't know. It may be just coincidence. It may be a nod to House of Wax. Who knows? I would actually argue House of Wax. I think Robert Fiesta was a huge fan of House of Wax, or or it was something he liked, so he threw it in for the Vincent Price fans, because Vincent Price had fans back then, so, you know, they kind of wanted certain things in their Vincent Price movie, and um, and this is, what's unique in this is that Price does all his acting with his eyes. Oh, yeah. Which which is not easy to do, and he pulls it off. Especially when he's talking to uh, Joseph Cotton at the end, Doctor Vesalius. That's you can yeah. it, everything's in the eyes and the and the still jaw look because he can't open his mouth and speak. So everything his anger is done all through his face and especially yeah, his eyes. It's um, 
really well acted piece by by Price, but uh, you can see he's having fun. There's one part I did notice where he's um, in his his lair and he's uh, got that band playing and he's dancing with uh, Volnavia. Yeah, I think Vincent Price has whispered something to her while his back is turned because then he swings her around and you can see that she's actually laughing. So yeah, I think that he was having a bit of fun on the set. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah. Supposedly he was he was really fun to work with, and I guess Joseph Cotton had problems remembering his lines, but. Price knew all of Joseph Cotton's lines and his because he was notorious in the business for memorizing the entire script. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. Just one of those guys, like, I heard this the same about David Carradine as well, as they could just read a page of the script and memorize it after one reading. Jeez. It's a, it's one of those, those superb, uncanny uh, photographic memories that, you know, that, that are real. Like, it's a real photographic memory. I'll tell you one. Thing, John, there's a film you need to check out, and people listening as well. It's got Vincent Price in it as a guest starring role, but he's in the whole film. It's one called mm. Bloodbath at the House of Death. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Kenny Everett's in it, right? Kenny Everett and Pamela Stevenson. It's a comedy, but yeah, yeah, I've been looking for a good copy of that, and maybe yeah. maybe it's on streaming right now. I, I'll have to look. I but I, I do, that is one I want to watch again because I, saw I only saw the, parts of it. Yeah, I'm like. USA Network in the 80s, and it was probably censored and everything. I saw it at the drive-in when it came out, and um, I don't think I've seen it since, but I remember it being absolutely hysterical, and Vincent Price is just hammering it up, something shocking in that. Um, but yeah, I need to get my hands on that film somehow. I'll try and find it, because I, I really want to see it again. But um, I know you got a DVD release in the UK, but many, many, many years ago, so yeah. I had a uh, very, very bad feeling that is long gone. But... Um, that's uh that's another good one to check out. I mean, that guy's made what over a hundred movies. It had well, they hype they hype this as his hundredth film. I don't know if it actually was, but it made for good publicity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, the fil- the film is a solid movie. I mean, it still holds up. It's what fifty two years old, and yeah. it, it's still a fun watch. I mean, I can't say really fast forward anything except the rat scene, but that was always going to happen. Um, every right. other part I was not sitting there going oh boys are starting to drag um, Peter Jeffrey I really liked as the uh, Inspector Trout who keeps getting yeah. called other fish names like Pike and Bream and <laughs> and um, yeah I really enjoyed him remember seeing him in a film called If have you ever seen If? I've never seen If I know that's the uh, Michael McDowell movie right? yeah the first one of the Mick Travis trilogy it's um Coincidentally, by the way, Malcolm McDowell was announced for a remake or reboot of Fibes that never happened. Yeah, I mean, I like McDowell, but nah, just leave these films alone. Don't do it. Well, if you want a real twist of the story, this is something I could not confirm on the web, but I honestly swear I heard it on television back in the 80s was this is one of Eddie Murphy's favorite movies. And he really wanted to do a remake of it. Oh no! Playing Doctor Fives. Oh no! No 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 no! Don't yeah! Thank God no. He already stuffed up the Nutty Professor. He's yeah. No. <laughs> well, this was before the Nutty Professors. He was. It was like he really wanted to do Doctor Fives, and then I did see him on a talk show like a few months later where he he was talking about Vincent Price and. He says, "You know, Vincent Price is saying I've done more than Doctor Fives," and he does a weird look at the camera, and it's like. I, yeah, I think the stories are true that he was trying to do a remake, like he was probably going to do it with, uh, who knows, Kadeem Hardison or a bunch of actors like that at the time. <laughs> Tyler Perry. Yeah, <Sorry>. do it. 
Tyler like a, Perry's uh, Doctor Five. A, a American urban version of Doctor Fives, which could be funny if it was done that way, but I no. can't see any talent in Hollywood pulling that off. Nope. Leave that shit because they don't. Alone. They don't. We don't have any directors that could actually do something uh, like this. They don't have any style. You know, you're not going to get this type of film from Eli Roth. What about uh, the other guy? What's his name? The Get Out filmmaker. The- Is that him? Which one? What's his name? Get Out or Shut Up or whatever the fucking film was called. Oh, uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. Peele, that's it. Peele. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't really see it. I've only seen one of his, I've only seen uh, Get Out, but um, I don't see him with the with the ideas to make something like this. I don't think they have the aesthetic for it. Yeah. i got to say there was one part in this film that really made me laugh was uh, when he goes to that uh, Darktown Strutters Ball gathering and uh, he yeah. takes the frog's head mask for the surgeon who's going to die by the death of frog or frogs and the guy says oh can you help me on with this dear boy and uh, he goes i'm a surgeon you uh uh was was say a psychologist something goes a real head shrinker and by the way this guy dies which price knows he sort of breaks the fourth wall and looks at the camera and says yep (laughs) you're gonna die (laughs) as a head shrinker i thought it was very funny it was brilliantly yeah yeah very subtle, subtly done, but very funny as well. But I got to say, man, overall, uh, this is this is great. I'm really looking forward to seeing Doctor Fives rise again uh, when we do that one. Don't remember a great deal about it except for the desert bits and the ending, of course, which you're not going to give away. And we're not going to give away the ending of this one because uh, we do want you to right. see it. Anything else you need to raise about we this? Can't say Terry Thomas is in this. Yeah, oh, yeah, Terry Thomas, of course. Uh, the Monster's Revenge. No, sorry, months to go home, Terry Thomas. Right, should say, being Terry Thomas, basically watching the uh, well, sort of quasi dirty movie of the woman with the, the partially dressed woman with the snake, and him sort of hurrying the housekeeper out of the house, and then uh, dying by the death of blood. But <laughs> I mean, anything else you want to raise about this? We can just sort of make this episode short, sharp, and sweet. Well, I will say that the the poster we've all seen is love. Uh, what is it? Love, Love never means happy to say you're ugly. Yeah, that was actually a flop campaign. That was the first campaign for the film, and it was a flop. And so then, because it confused, people had no idea what the movie was, because mm. uh, you, you just couldn't make a joke like that. And uh, so then they did a new campaign where they pushed it as a horror film, and it was a huge hit for AIP. I think it was like their biggest hit that year. If I'm not mistaken. That's why, that's why they rushed the next one into production to have out the, the following year, which that didn't happen very often back then. Yeah, I'm just checking up. Okay, I'm right. The Australian VHS is bizarre of this. It has got, okay, it says, love means never having to say you're ugly. Okay, fair enough. But it's got this guy dressed in a tuxedo with a skull mask on. Looks nothing like Vincent Price's character. Like, yeah. Like vibe. And a blonde woman who's got nothing to do with the film. Right. In the same embrace photo as the one that's on the poster. It's bizarre. I've got to um I've got to send it to you because it makes no sense whatsoever. Is but, it done um, by the same artist that did that Captain Marvel uh D V D cover? I don't know, but it's the one I've always seen on the shelf there and I, th- and I was looking at it going, Huh, she's not in the movie. This looks nothing like Doctor Fives. It just you know, Right. Yeah, it, it's uh it's odd. But um I'm just going to screen share this with you, John. I'll- okay. Huh. Yeah, it just looks like somebody went to a costume shop and yeah, <laughs> and hired a model. and <laughs> it's, it's It has weird. nothing to do with it. I mean, I'm going to recreate yeah. it for home, for Blu-ray, of course. 
when I find the materials, but that looks like that looks like an Aussie model too. Oh yeah, she's totally Aussie girl. But um, yeah, yeah, she's got the suntan and everything. Yeah, she's got the um, beach blonde hair and stuff. But yep, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say she's very Australian looking. <laughs> yeah, good Aussie girl. All right. Anyway, let's uh, rate this thing out of ten. John, we're going to give the abominable doctor I, fives. I'll give it an eight. It's a pretty solid score. I yeah. I uh, was going to give this. Eight and a half. I don't give it a mm-hmm. nine. I think it's a really enjoyable watch. It's um, a lot of fun. The 95 minutes zip by very, very quick as well. Yeah. It's not going to rob pace. you of any time. Uh, you're going to think, ah. You're not going to think, ah, screw it. I want my time back, which you're not going to get and because you're not going to be disappointed. It's a, it's a fun watch. Now, if you can remember, rate your three favorite Vincent Price films either in order or no order what, whatsoever. I'd probably just say House of Wax, Dr. Fibes, and then um, probably The Raven. Mm. Oh, the Raven's a good one, actually. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go... There's quite a few good ones, and I keep you know, re- getting reacquainted with them decades later, thanks to streaming, because a lot of that stuff is owned by MGM, and the MGM library just kind of gets thrown around stre- streaming all the time. So you get it, oh, there's something I haven't seen, and... You just press play, right? Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get a film that's like two and a half hours long of Vincent Price. Not happening. He's just... Yeah. It's, well, they knew how to pay stuff back then. People didn't have time. Plus, he's had to be ready for double features because double features were a big thing. Yeah, true. The driving uh, double features of the early 70s. Anyway, I am going to say for myself in no particular order... Um, no, actually, I will put them in order. I'll probably put Dr. Fibes at three, uh, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine at two. <laughs> because I just I cannot get enough of that film. I mean, it's just <laughs> the, the the sequel, Doctor Golf, Doctor Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. That's bad. It's yeah, the so Mario Baba one. Yeah, and uh, probably House of Wax at one. But man, I tell you what, if I watch Doctor Goldfoot again, it may take the place of House of Wax number one. But those those three are set in stone. My favorite three favorite Vincent Price films. But yeah, he has a got a shit ton of other good ones that you can watch. The Oblong Box. I remember liking that one a lot as well. Don't know if I've seen it. That's mm-hmm. one I would see right away if it was on streaming. Mm. The Oblong Box. Cry of the Banshee was one I saw a lot when I was a kid. But, yeah. Uh, didn't didn't impress me much when I watched it, you know, years later. But, uh, you know, I, I would probably watch it again if it showed up on streaming. And it's like, oh, there's a Vincent Price movie. Yeah. Play yeah. it. He always makes it fun no matter what, you know, with all his camp vamping around and stuff. Well, he made Michael Jackson's Thriller fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. Apart from that, the rest of it's garbage. Oh, and also his notable appearance on Alice Cooper's um, "Welcome to My Nightmare" album. Yeah, for um, iconic rock stuff. What song did he do it on? The Black Widow. That was it. Yeah, it was on that track. Yeah. All right, man. Good to finally get some Vincent Price out the way, and we're going to do some more next episode with uh, Doctor Fibes Rise Again. But um, yep, that's it. Uh, back to the audio, as we said before at the start. YouTube's gone. I will post a video up there just doing a little five-minute thing saying what's going on. I'm not going to bash YouTube too much, but basically saying, hey, we're done here. Come up to the website and um, get on the stick with the audio stuff. But anyway, stick around for the NES. I've got his piece all ready to go, and we will catch you next one. Yeah, peace out. And now it's time for Rue Britannia with your foreign correspondent, the Nez.
In a move that will surprise nobody ever than those who still believe that cocaine in the White House wasn't anything to do with you-know-who, the Mary Japesters at Just Stop Oil humiliated themselves again this week in true university manner by gate-crashing the first week of Wimbledon and generally making complete twat of themselves. And after all, nothing screams deindustrialization by interrupting a tennis match for all love. The joke consequently ended up being on them. Anyway, medieval court jesters aside, Wimbledon swung underway for another year, the usual traditions effectively being upheld. A list royals turning up to Gladhand, strawberries and cream at 50 US dollars, an empty seat left in tribute to Johnny Carson, plucky Brits being knocked up by Romanians in the first round, and wheelchair bound cripples basically showing that they can actually play tennis as much as anybody else, to a degree. It merely really lost a fortnight, but 40 years ago, John McEnroe made it seem like ours. Midnight Express and the gay starvos suffered a defeat this week when the country's biggest charity loses a bid in the High Court to strip a gay rights charity of its charitable status. Mermaids, now in love, that's what they're actually called for real, as opposed to the idea of arsedancers, took the action against the LGB Alliance, or if you wish, the LGBTQZLPM Alliance, arguing that the alliance was quote-unquote profoundly homophobic. Naturally, the mind-benders are considering an appeal. In short, a routine exhibit regarding just how the hopeless toxicity and re-enchanting come divisions and factionalism within the gay and lesbian community. Not so much blue on blue, but rainbow on rainbow. And in the words of philosopher Andrew Dice Clegg, quote-unquote, last night I went to the celebrity opening of my girlfriend's arsehole. Wandering hands and more bad behaviour from the BBC as an unnamed high-profile BBC TV presenter is suspended in May over allegations of child abuse. I say May for the simple reason that the BBC buried the story for two months that the tabloids have only just discovered it. Oh, well. The unnamed D-lister, or should I say A-lister, or should I say paedophile, and a firm family favourite, Albert, was removed after it was disclosed that he, she, it... Asked a teenage boy, girl, it, for indecent images. How indecent? He, she, it, paid the child £35,000 for the photos, which in Peterville circles may well be seen as a positive bargain. Anyway, he's off after the child's family intervened when the whistle was blown. However, given the BBC's history of covering up child abuse, I wouldn't really build up their hopes if I were them. After all, putting it mildly, the BBC will abuse anybody. And how's that for equality? Further notes in passing, Joe Biden will visit Britain this week. Arrangements have been made just in case he thinks he's actually landing in Denmark. Hello, Copenhagen. Banks come under fire for shutting down the accounts of clients whose politics and convictions they disagree with. This after Nigel Farage has his bank accounts shut down by the Yorkshire Building Society. The idea of anybody actually wanting to build anything in Yorkshire, of course, being fundamentally absurd. Yorkshire, the home of serial killers and Sir James of the Savile. And finally, to top off another bad week for the BBC, ratings for piss-poor Eva Cockney Wook Soup Opera EastEnders finally collapsed down to a shambolic disastrous ratings point of 1 million viewers per episode. BBC executives vowed to increase ratings by effectively adding a moral of George Floyd to the set, bringing back characters from the dead, Increasing the number of gay bashings and introducing a family of Adams and Madams. I'm joking, of course. These are actually the reasons why the viewers actually abandoned once and for all. Pax. 
Thank you for listening to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. For more information, go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. For feedback, comments, or show suggestions, go to midnightmoviecowboys at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hear us on Stitcher Radio. Head over to stitcher.com and download the app. Want to help the show out? Head on over to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and hit the PayPal donate. We appreciate all donations of any denomination. Find us on Twitter at MMCowboys. Like us on Facebook. Head over to facebook.com Type in Midnight Movie Cowboys. Hit the like button over there. Want to friend us personally on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? Go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and find the links from there on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.